0: Love,
1: welcome.
0: Radio. welcome to Sherry's Playhouse This week we welcome Everett Roberts' play Murder at Home Please enjoy
2: Hello I am your humble host Your Tour guide if you will Tonight Through two unique plays We stop in the nameless face the suburbs of America where husbands love their wives and wives love their husbands but where murder also lurks just beneath the surface. Ten minutes to live. Imagine a suburban home and bank office in the late 1940s to early 1950s. At rise, a single spotlight on a solitary man. This is Johnny. He is dressed in black slacks, a strap-style A-cut T-shirt, and a gray Homburg-style hat. Johnny's head is down, looking at his feet. As the light comes up, he he fishes in his pocket and pulls out a rumpled, almost-empty pack of cigarettes. Slowly, deliberately, he taps one of the few remaining cigarettes out of the pack. Then he taps his pocket for a light and pulls out a book of matches, strikes one and lights it up. He blows out a cloud of smoke.
1: Well, shit. It wasn't supposed to happen the way it did, you know? It's supposed to be easy. Quick. Almost a cash and grab. You know what I mean? Grab the cash and run. Ah, whatever. Hell, I don't even know why I'm talking about this. I know I ain't got no chance of redemption. No confession or penance will get me to heaven. Just too much shit, you know?
2: Johnny takes another long drag and exhales, shaking his head slowly.
1: It was supposed to be real easy, you know. It wasn't supposed to happen the way it did.
2: Johnny takes a final drag on the cigarette, then steps forward a little and lights come up on a bar. Johnny sits down.
1: Yo, uh, give me a shot of whiskey. No, 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 no. Stuff on the bottom shelf. The cheap stuff.
2: The bartender hands him a shot wordlessly, which Johnny gulps down eagerly. He signals for another. Freddy emerges from the shadows.
0: Got a light?
2: Freddy removes a cigarette from her purse and holds it up. Johnny shrugs and pulls out the book of matches and throws it to her.
0: (laughs) Oh, a gentleman.
2: She lights a cigarette and offers the match to him. Johnny lights one as well.
0: Are you drinking to forget or to remember?
2: Remember what?
0: Remember that you're a man.
2: Johnny ignores her, gulping down the second shot quickly. A beat as Freddie watches him. Finally, she speaks again.
0: Two more. And make it the good stuff from the top shelf.
1: Hey, lady, just leave me alone. I don't have money if you're selling and I don't take charity if you offer it.
0: I knew you didn't have money, or not enough, the minute I saw you drinking that rock gut. I'm neither selling nor giving. I have a business opportunity for you. A chance to make some real money, if you're interested, that is.
2: Johnny gives her a look, swallows the third shot, and nods. Uh,
1: what kind of business opportunity?
0: It's easy work. Ten minutes tops, and you'll earn a lot of money. Oh,
2: hell.
1: What do I have to lose?
2: Fade to black, leaving only the glowing ember of a cigarette. The lights come up, revealing a bank manager's office on one side, the living room of the house on the other. The lights on the bank office are dimmed, but not out. Lights are up on the house side. Nancy is at the front door waving. Nancy is in her Late 20s to early 30s. Dressed nice, but not sexy. Just very housewife-like.
3: Be good, Ronnie, and have fun at school.
2: She waits for a moment, closes the door, and then turns to the living room. Nancy gets some cleaning supplies and starts dusting. As Nancy works, the lights dim on her and come up on the bank office. Victor enters with a briefcase. Victor is a middle-aged man... Middle-aged bank manager, dressed nicely. He moves to his desk and immediately bends down to fiddle with the safe under the desk.
4: Right 32, left 61, right 66. Victor stares into the safe and exhales sharply. Thank God it's still here.
2: Victor's head pops up, hitting his head. He rubs his head
4: as he answers. Hello?
3: Victor... Are you okay? You sound like you're out of breath.
4: Oh, I'm fine, Nancy. Why are you calling?
3: I'm just calling to see what you wanted for supper. You rushed outside so quickly this morning.
4: Oh, whatever you decide, I'm sure it will be fine, Nancy. Now, please, I have to go. I have work to do.
3: Victor, it's not even 8 in the morning. The bank doesn't open till 9.
4: I have lots of work to do, Nancy. Before the bank opens? No, please, I have to go.
3: Yes,
0: dear.
2: Victor hangs up the phone and then quickly darts down under his desk again.
0: Mr. Wilson, are you there?
2: Victor's head comes up hard against the desk again, and he winces and quickly closes the safe. He is trying to straighten himself up as Freddy enters. Freddy is everything that Nancy is not. She is younger, blonder, shapelier, wearing tighter clothes. She spies Victor on his knees and quickly rushes over to him, still holding her clutch, and kneels in front of him.
0: Mister Wilson, is everything okay?
2: Their eyes meet for just a moment, and he swallows hard,
4: obviously lusting after her. Frederica, I I wasn't expecting you to be here.
0: Mister Wilson, how many times do I have to tell you to call me Freddie?
4: Oh, every day since you started working here.
0: So only 31 times.
2: She
4: winks and smiles as Victor blushes and starts to stand up. You still haven't told me what you're doing here this early.
0: I'm here at this time every day. You don't think that coffee you enjoy so much just makes itself, do you?
4: I I suppose not.
0: Now, what are you doing here this early? Hiding a present for someone?
4: A present? What? What?
0: For your wife's birthday?
4: My wife's birthday?
0: Mr. Wilson, don't tell me you forgot Nancy's birthday. Um, uh, of course not.
2: Freddie is still on all fours, very provocative and trying to peek behind him.
0: So, what did you get her?
4: It's, well, it, it's a surprise.
0: Well, of course it's a surprise for her. You can tell me, can't you?
2: Freddy looks up, giving him almost puppy-dog lovesick eyes. Victor, as if realizing something isn't right in this situation, suddenly gathers
4: a hold of himself. How how did you know today was Nancy's birthday?
0: (laughs) I'm your secretary, Victor. I know lots about you and your family, about Nancy and little Ronnie.
2: She smiles and exits, giving her butt a little wiggle as she does. Victor sits there in silence as the lights dim on him and come up on Nancy, who has resumed her cleaning. Nancy pauses, confused, not sure who is ringing the bell this early. She is hesitant at first, unsure if she should answer the door. A beat, then Nancy moves to answer it.
3: I'm coming, I'm coming.
2: Nancy moves to the door and opens it.
3: Can I help you?
2: Johnny enters, wearing the same slacks and hat. A two-large white shirt, tie, and checked sport coat, carrying a bag. Something just doesn't look right about the way he is dressed. Something off about it all. Johnny tips his hat as he enters, but doesn't take it off.
1: Hello, ma'am. I'm uh, a daughter to door Bible salesman, and wondered if I could interest you in purchasing a new copy of The Good Word. Perhaps uh, a family edition.
2: The smile is too wide. The words too sincere. Again, something is just wrong about everything he does.
3: I'm sorry. Did you say you were selling Bibles?
1: Oh, yes, ma'am. The uh, New American edition.
3: The New American edition?
1: Yes, ma'am. Uh, family editions so You can teach your son all about uh, the good word.
3: I... I don't think so. Thank you, though.
2: Nancy turns slightly, her back towards Johnny, as if dismissing him without saying it.
1: Please, ma'am. Could you just take a look?
2: He opens his bag and begins digging through it.
3: No, thank you. I'm happy with...
2: She turns to face him. Johnny pulls out a revolver from his bag. Sit. I don't under... I said sit, you haughty bitch. Wordlessly, almost timidly, Nancy moves to the couch and sits down, hands in her lap. Johnny moves behind her, keeping the gun trained on her the whole time, and picks up a phone.
1: Hey, it's me. Let me talk to the man.
2: Lights come up on the bank office side. Freddy rushes in, scared.
0: Mr. Wilson, there's a problem, an emergency at home.
4: Victor, who's been poring over ledgers, looks up confused. What kind of problem? Bank isn't even open yet. How
0: Mr Wilson, Victor, it's your wife.
4: Nancy? What's wrong? What's happened?
0: You need to take the phone and find out, sir.
2: Victor
4: picks up the phone on his desk quickly. Hello, Nancy. What's going on? What's the emergency? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, this isn't Nancy.
4: Who is this? What's going on? Is my wife okay?
1: Victor Wilson, president of the First National Trust, husband to Nancy, father to Ronnie. That is who I'm speaking to, correct?
4: Who is this?
1: Tut, 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 Mr. Wilson. You just didn't answer me. That's one demerit. You know about demerits, don't you? You learned all about them at that fancy private school you attended. But in this reality, if you get three, then they get bad. They're real bad. Now, answer me. Is this Mr. Victor Wilson, bank president, loving husband and father?
4: Yes. Now, what do you want?
1: I want what all bank robbers want, Mr. Wilson. Money.
4: You're robbing me over the phone? I don't understand.
1: No, Vic. I'm robbing you from your home. Nancy. It's safe. For now. Now listen closely and carefully. Do exactly what I say. And Nancy will live. And Ronnie, well, you'll never know what happened today. Do you understand?
2: Yes. Freddy, who has been watching intensely and worriedly, leans in.
0: Is everything okay?
2: Victor nods to Freddy.
1: Good. Now, it's my understanding... You have embezzled close to half a million dollars from your bank.
2: Nancy looks up shocked.
4: Victor starts shaking his head. No, that's a lie. How could I?
1: Don't know how you did it, and frankly, I don't care. I just know that in your office, under your desk, there is a safe, and in that safe sits $500,000.
4: That's a lie.
1: No, that's a lie, Vic. All three of us know it. All three? Yes. All three. You, me, and my partner.
2: Freddy's expression suddenly changes. She goes from concerned secretary to something more sinister. Her back straightens and out from out of her clutch a small forty five revolver appears.
0: Freddie? I told you, Vic. I know everything about you.
2: Well, I'm guessing
1: Freddie has just joined the party. Tell a high for me, would you, Vic? I said, tell her hi for me.
4: He says hi.
0: Hi, baby.
1: Vic, you still with me? I can't hear you, Vic. Are you still with me? Yes. Good. Now, here's how this works. You have ten minutes to get down on your hands and knees. Open up that safe, pull out the $500,000, put it in the bank, bag, and you give it to Freddy. Ready. on the other hand, well then leave the bank and call me to tell me your wife is safe. Then, I'll leave you and your pretty wife and your pretty home alone. But until then, you...
4: No, you haven't already killed Nancy. (sighs)
1: Say hi to your loving husband, Nancy.
3: Victor, what's going on? She's got a gun and...
1: Satisfied? Yes. Good. You got 10 minutes, Vic. Not 11, not 12. She has 10 minutes to live.
2: Johnny hangs up the phone and the lights in the house dim. Victor looks down at the phone while Freddie motions with her gun.
0: Are you just going to sit there? Time's a-ticking, you know.
4: Will he really kill her?
0: <laughs> Johnny? Oh, yes, he will. He's crazy.
4: And you're here to what?
0: Kill you, if necessary. Don't want to do that, though, Vic. We don't want to hurt anybody or kill anyone. We just want the money. Hmm.
4: Do you love him?
0: (laughs) For Johnny? No. He's a tool in my plan. Your plan? Johnny is just a thug. A crazy one for short, but just a thug. He's nothing. You think he came up with this plan on his own? <laughs> He's the muscle. I'm the brains. Huh? Vic, I've been playing at this and planning on this from the day I walked in that door. I didn't know you were embezzling. <laughs> oh, that was a pleasant surprise. But we still would be robbing you, no matter what. Now, better get cracking on that safe. Well, do you need him? Johnny? No. Why?
4: Well, what's to stop us, then, from taking the money and running?
0: If Johnny doesn't hear from us, then your wife... will be dead
4: and will save me the pain of divorcing her.
0: And Ronnie? What happens to your son?
4: Mm, we have relations that will take him in. He'll be okay.
0: What about Johnny?
4: You said it yourself. He's a street thug. We'll call the police and they'll catch him, or they'll do something stupid sooner or later and they'll catch him for something else. And us? Us will be in Rio. $500,000 richer. The lights dim on the bank and come up on the house.
2: Johnny is pacing back and forth, nervous, anxiously waiting.
3: What's wrong?
1: Oh, man. She hasn't called yet.
3: It's only been two minutes.
1: Shut up. I know how long it's been.
3: Are you nervous?
1: No. Why? Do I act nervous?
3: Frankly, yes, you do. Earlier, you were in control, so strong on the phone.
1: Oh, you like that, huh? You like me being strong, ordering your husband around, right?
3: No, no. That's not what I... (laughs)
1: Yeah, did I turn you on, huh? Were you hoping I'd tie you up, too?
3: What? No.
2: Johnny reaches down and caresses Nancy's face. Nancy pulls back.
1: You're Hoping that he calls back, eh? Ask for more time. He will, you know. Freddie told me that he would. He'll stall. Try to figure out how he can pay us off and still keep his money.
3: Aren't you afraid he'll call the police? They could be on their way here any minute.
2: Why, you the bitch. He slaps her hard and Nancy goes to the floor. Johnny moves to the door. After a moment, he breathes a sigh of relief.
1: No cherries and berries.
3: Not yet.
2: Johnny glares at her and begins moving threateningly towards her, then stops as if remembering something.
1: No. No, your husband, he won't call the cops. Why not? Then he'd have to admit to stealing 500000 from the bank.
3: She could give it back to the bank.
1: But he won't. Freddy knows it, and you know it. Now then, look. You got anything else smart to say, or do I to find another way to shut you up?
2: Johnny leers at her, reaching for her arm. Sinister, threatening. When suddenly, Nancy bolts up and runs for the door. Johnny reaches out to grab her as the lights dim on the house and come up
4: on the bank.
0: You're suggesting that we screw over our partners and run away together.
4: Oh, how many times do I have to say that? Yes. Listen, I don't love Nancy. I haven't in quite some time. Not since Ronnie was born. She devotes all her time to him now.
0: He's six. Six. He needs someone to take care of him.
4: And I need someone to take care of me, too.
2: Victor reaches into a desk
4: drawer and pulls out an envelope. I wasn't planning on showing you this today, but obviously things have changed. What is it? Two tickets to Vegas for us. I was going to invite you next week.
0: What? Tell me that there's a banker's convention or some such thing, and then get me to sleep with you. (laughs) Oh. The first bank I've robbed this way, Vic, and you won't be the last. You are the first to try to sleep with me, but you are the first to request that we kill his wife and run off to Rio. Time's ticking, Vic. Five minutes down, five minutes to go. What are you going to do? Pay the ransom or let her die? Five minutes to decide. You won't do it, Vic. You don't have the sack. Just admit it. Quit trying to be so tough. Save the mother of your son and give me the 500000
4: I told you already. I don't love her. Oh, come on, Freddy. Run away with me. Let your boyfriend kill my wife. Let him take the rap. And we'll be sipping mojitos in Rio.
0: Mojitos are a Cuban drink.
2: Victor gets up from his desk and moves over to her.
4: Then we'll go to Cuba. Come on, what do you say? You, me, and a cool half-million in unrecorded cash.
2: Victor's hands slide down to her waist as he stands behind Freddie. The lights on the bank dim. Lights rise on the living room. Johnny has a hold of Nancy by the arm.
1: You think you're so smart, don't you, bitch? But you're not. Just like all the rest of the stupid control me. Tell me what I can and can't do. Trying to manipulate me. You think I'm stupid, but I'm not. You're the one who's
2: stupid.
3: I'm sorry. I shouldn't have tried to run.
2: Johnny holds the gun with one hand and Nancy drops to the floor and begins to tug at his belt. No, you shouldn't have.
1: From now, now you're going to pay
2: Nancy, almost kneeling in front of Johnny, suddenly rises up a little and drives her forearm into Johnny's crotch. He doubles over, and there's a brief struggle with both actors' backs to the audience. As both Nancy and Johnny reach for the gun, lights on the house go black. Lights on the bank rise. Freddie pushes away from Victor and looks down at her watch.
0: Three minutes left, Victor. Three minutes. What are you going to do?
4: Victor moves away from Freddy and back towards the desk. Oh, why didn't you just threaten to kill me? Why did you have to drag her into
0: this? (laughs) Because I know men like you, Victor. A man like you would be willing to sacrifice himself, but not his wife. In fact, I don't think you'd ever harm any woman.
4: I was willing to let you kill my wife. All you had to do was call him and tell him to kill her. But I sat here and had a drink and watched the time tick by.
0: Vic, Victor, I know men like you. I've known men like you my whole life. Men who take what they want and don't care about the consequences. You think you're both things, and you're not. You are weak. You think you're a man, but you're not. You've forgotten what it means to be a man. Why should you get to do what you want to, and I don't? That's why I did this to prove that I can do whatever I want and get away with it. You think I want you? I can have any man I want. I can have anyone I want. I can have anything I want. And what I want isn't you. It's that 500000 in your safe. Now, are you going to give it to me, or do we have to wait for your wife to die for you to realize how serious I am? Fine.
4: Oh. Fine, I'll give you the money. Just just don't hurt me or Nancy.
0: <laughs> I knew you'd come around eventually. Men like you always do.
2: Victor kneels and begins to play with the safes combination. When will you stop?
0: This is the last one. Is this the last one? Am I con a poor bank president or manager and have him give me all his money? No, Victor, it isn't.
2: Victor stands up, a gun in his hand. Yes. Yes, it is. Freddie falls down and Victor places the gun on the desk and picks up the phone. Hello, operator.
4: Operator. Hello. <laughs>
0: Oh, Victor, I've been ahead of you this entire time. Did you think I wouldn't know about your gun? That I wouldn't have taken care of it? Now, open the safe and put all the money in the bag.
2: Victor kneels again, opening the safe and begins placing stacks of bills on the table.
4: Are you happy now? Are we finished?
0: Me? (laughs) I'm thrilled. My business with you is done, but there is someone else who wants to have a final word.
2: The door to the office opens, and Nancy steps in, holding a gun.
0: Nancy,
4: what, what the, what's going on? Nancy
2: slides up to Freddie and smiles.
3: Victor, do you think I'm stupid? Do you think I didn't know about all your indiscretions? All your lies. I knew about every one of them. I've been planning this for quite some time. Then, when I met Freddie, I realized that our plans were beneficial to each other. And now, our plans have come to fruition.
4: Nancy, now wait. What about Ronnie?
3: Now you decide to ask about Ronnie? Now you show concern? Victor, you haven't cared a thing about Ronnie since he was born. Did you think this was just about what you've done to me? Victor, this isn't just about us, but also for your son. When was the last time you went to a ball game or played catch with him in the yard, taught him how to throw a baseball or a football? You couldn't even be bothered to teach him how to ride a bike. Now you decide to ask about him? Between the money you've embezzled and your life insurance policy, we'll be taken care of. Ronnie, me, and Freddie.
4: Nancy, please. Let me explain.
3: Goodbye, Victor.
2: Victor falls over dead from Nancy's gunshot. Freddy stacks the money in Victor's briefcase, then takes Nancy's hand. Together they exit. Fade to black. Well, Nancy certainly took care of business, didn't she? A new life and 500,000 new bills to start that new life with. Well, that leads us to our next play tonight. The suburbs aren't just about embezzlement and murder, but also about family. How far will a man go to protect his legacy? How far will his best friend go to find the truth? They say vengeance is a dish
5: best served cold. But like a fine wine, it must first be chilled.
6: Olivia's room, the time, the present, a scene, a wine cellar. We open on a wine cellar, a single table, small and draped with a black tablecloth, two wing-back chairs, two long-stem wine glasses, and a bottle of wine resting in a bucket. The bucket itself is highly polished silver. Everything is stark and minimal, hanging above one chair, just barely out of sight is a hangman's noose.
7: One more glass of wine?
0: <laughs>
7: just just one. Of course, Jacob. Just a single glass.
6: Two men enter the wine cellar. Jacob is an older, fatter man. He is laughing louder than his companion upon whom he must lean. Jacob is obviously drunk. He is dressed in a cheap suit. Jacob's companion is Bruce. Bruce is younger, leaner, and although he appears to be drunk as well, there's a mean glint in his eye that suggests otherwise. Bruce's attire isn't much finer. Bruce leads Jacob to one of the wingback chairs and then sits down in the other. Jacob is studying the bottle of wine but hasn't reached for it yet.
5: So, this is it? This is what, old friend? The great wine cellar you wouldn't shut up about. That I wouldn't shut up about? I
7: only mentioned it once.
5: Maybe you, you've mentioned it, but don't play coy with me, old friend. You know everyone's been buzz about this mysterious cellar you've been building. I have no idea what you are talking about.
6: Jacob starts Mm. to stand.
5: (laughs) If you brought me here just to toy with me, I have better things I could be doing.
6: Suddenly, Bruce is standing, too, holding out a hand to stop Jacob.
7: Jacob, you are drunk. And we know that when you get drunk, you get angry and you get reckless. Please sit down. I'm not toying with you. I... Just didn't know my remodeling plans were the talk of the town. <laughs>
5: oh, but they have been, Bruce. Only a year after Olivia's death and suddenly you are remodeling her bedroom into a wine cellar? How could it not be the talk of the town?
6: Bruce looks away as Jacob mentions his daughter, closing his eyes. He then turns his attention back to the matters at hand and the guests at the table.
7: I had no idea I was that popular.
5: <laughs> you aren't Bruce.
7: But you just said.
5: Oh, I mean no disrespect, Bruce. But it's the truth. The past year, they've been—you've been a hermit, avoiding the parties, the tastings.
7: Only because those throwing the parties and the tastings are useless, brain dead sorority girls who don't know a Chateau Palmer Margot from a du Dubois Chardonnay. The. Celebrity chefs they hire cannot cook a simple meal, nor do they know how to pair them. Unlike you, Jacob, you, you are a master. You flatter me, but... uh... No, my friend, don't even try to protest about what we both know is true. Your years of experience, the pairings, some unusual and unconventional, but always perfect. Your reviews in the Times and the Post. Well, it's obvious I am not alone in recognizing your mastery. You. You are the reason I built this.
5: What is this exactly? If it is a wine cellar, then it's severely understocked.
6: Jacob motions to the one bottle on the table. This time, Bruce joins him.
7: No, my friend, this is my tasting room. The... Jacob Montalcino Tasting Room.
5: You named your tasting room after me?
7: Of course I did. As I said, you are a testament to fine taste and elegant.
5: Again, you flatter
7: me. You are also one of Olivia's favorite people.
5: God rest her soul. God rest her soul.
6: Jacob makes the sign of the cross, but sloppily, as Bruce uncorks the wine bottle.
7: You were there, weren't you? Where?
5: (laughs) Now who is playing coy?
7: At Olivia's last party.
5: I, I don't rightly recall.
7: Jacob, I know your memory is like a steel trap. It is the one thing that is admirable about you. No matter how much wine your brain soaks up, it never forgets a party.
5: Uh, speaking of parties, uh, won't your guests be wondering where we've disappeared to?
7: Angela will make sure we've, that we needed a moment or two of privacy. To reminisce and honor my beloved daughter.
6: Bruce pours a glass of wine for Jacob, and then a glass for himself. He picks up the glasses, and even though he can simply hand it to Jacob... He makes a big show of walking it over to his friend. He continues to walk, stopping just behind the chair Jacob is sitting in, and raises his glass and toast.
5: To Olivia. To Olivia.
6: Jacob quickly drains his glass of wine, but Bruce hasn't even touched his yet, still holding the glass up in toast.
7: And to one day finding her killer...
6: At this, Jacob coughs and almost doubles over, his eyes wide. He tries to gain his composure, but it isn't quickly coming. He straightens up a little and looks over at Bruce.
5: Her killer? Bruce, what happened to Olivia was an accident.
6: Bruce looks down at Jacob, seated, his eyes flashing in anger and in rage.
7: An accident! An accident! How does a 16-year-old girl get drunk as she got and then is allowed to drive by accident?
5: Uh, that's that's not what I meant, Bruce. What I meant was... uh...
7: No, no, you're right. Of course you are. Jacob, what is your greatest fear? What? Your greatest fear. What is it? Mine, for instance, was losing my daughter, outliving her. I think that's every parent's greatest fear. But you, you have no family, no children, no spouse or partner. You live alone in this world. I'm not alone. <laughs> I suppose not. You have your circle of friends, don't you? Those hanger-ons who circle around you like carrions circling on a robbing corpse who hang around you only because of your reputation, unearned at that, grants you access to the parties where booze and drugs flow freely. That's enough. I'm leaving.
6: In one deft moment, Bruce is also up and has grabbed a hold of Jacob's arm and forces him back down into his chair.
7: Sit down, shut up, and listen.
6: Jacob starts to stand again, but the drink, the obvious drunkenness, and age... Makes him an easy target. Bruce pushes Jacob into the chair. There's a cold gleam in Bruce's eye as he towers above Jacob, almost daring him to try again.
5: Bruce, what are you doing? Help! Someone, please help!
7: I told you to shut
5: up! Uh, what, what are you doing?
7: Your greatest fear. What is it?
5: Why are you doing this? What is
7: your greatest fear? Bruce, answer me, damn it. I told you mine. Now tell me yours. To die.
5: To die alone. Are you happy now? Is this what you wanted to hear? Now why are you doing this?
7: Am I happy? Am I happy? No. I will never again be happy. For the reason my happiness is dead. Dead because of you. My daughter, the shining light of my life, is dead because of you.
5: I didn't kill Olivia.
7: Don't lie to me. I know you did. Luce, I would never have heard Olivia. I'm... The only reason she went is because you were there, her Uncle Jacob. She would have never associated with those people if you hadn't been there. You got her drunk, then you let her drive home drunk. You are the reason I am living out my greatest fear, and now I will be the reason you live out yours. What? Bruce, what are you talking about? Oh, we both know the truth, don't we? Uncle Jacob. We both know that Olivia wasn't behind that wheel.
5: Bruce, you're my oldest friend, and I'm going to tell you this out of my love for you. You are letting your grief blind you. Jacob, Jacob,
7: Jacob. Jacob, you bought off the police when they showed up at that accident. Did you think $10,000 would be enough to silence them forever? Did you ever consider that someone might pay them more to tell the truth?
5: The truth? Uh, What is the truth, Bruce? How do you know these men didn't lie to you? to tell you whatever story you wanted to hear.
7: Because I know you, Jacob. I've known you for 30 years, and I know you never let anyone else drive, no matter how drunk you are. I remember the parties where you insisted on driving home despite how drunk you were. I know that you were at that party and that the taxi service you called records picking you up just a few miles from the site of the accident. I know all of this because I know my best friend and I knew my daughter. I knew who was more likely to drive home drunk. So tell me, Jacob, is dying alone your greatest fear?
5: Yes, of course it is. Who wants to die alone? You
7: lie. I think your
5: greatest fear is the truth. I think your greatest
7: fear is being found out. But I've taken care of all of that.
3: Bruce
6: sets his still full glass of wine on the table in front of Jacob and reaches into his jacket and pulls out a sealed envelope.
5: What? What is that?
7: Did you enjoy the wine, Jacob?
5: Bruce, what are you doing... Bruce, let me go and we'll forget this ever happened. Did you enjoy the wine? Yes. Is that what you wanted me to say?
7: Yes, it was a fine wine. I'm glad you did, Jacob. Because that glass of wine was the last glass of wine you'll ever have. Bruce, what is that? This is a letter, Jacob. Confessing your part in my daughter's death. Now, a year later, you are so distraught that you've come here to her room to have one more glass of wine, one last glass of wine, before you make amends for your sins. You're mad. You're going to
5: kill me in cold blood.
6: Bruce reaches up and pulls down the noose, hanging unnoticed above Jacob.
5: Bruce, Bruce. You're my oldest friend. What are you doing? I'm not going to kill you, Jacob.
7: In fact, I'm going to leave you now. Leave you alone. Alone with this rope. Alone with the confession we both know is true. Alone with this very fine wine.
6: Bruce picks up his long-forgotten glass and drains it in one gulp.
7: I can see why it's your favorite, Jacob. It is... A very fine wine. I hope you enjoy it.
6: Bruce turns and exits, leaving Jacob staring at the bottle of wine and the envelope laid out in front of him. Jacob starts to stand and then falls back into his chair. He picks up the envelope and opens it, pulling out the letter and beginning to read.
5: This is my final column, my confession my penance for the murder of my goddaughter, Olivia. I can no longer live with the guilt that... <laughs> I can no longer live with the guilt that has consumed me for the past year.
6: Fade to black.
2: Ah, that is a very fine wine indeed. You know, they say remorse leaves a bitter taste on the tongue But revenge is sweet on the palate. I'm sure Bruce and Jacob would both agree with that statement. Well, thank you once again for joining us from Murder at Home here on Sherry's Playhouse. Good
0: night. Thank you for listening to Sherry's Playhouse, hosted by Chatting with Sherry.